Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Today, I'm happy to welcome a gal who has literally done it all. She's been an actor, a singer, and a dancer, but she is perhaps best known for her ass-kicking black belt ninja talents and her riveting Lily Wong thriller series. Yes, Tori Eldridge is on the show today, and we get to chat about a wide variety of topics, from the best Asian teas in the world to one of my favorite topics, barbecue ribs, and of course, her recent smash hit, The Ninja Betrayed. There's so much ground to cover, and as you'll quickly see and hear, Tori is full of energy, insight, and information. So let's you and I buckle up and jump into the Thriller Zone. How lovely to join you this morning. Oh my goodness, the pleasure is mine. Where are you in the world? I am in San Diego. Hmm. Well, heck, we're not that far from each other. I'm no, just we're on like... the coast outside Los Angeles. Where, uh, where exactly? Are you? Do you know Thousand Oaks? It's just across the Ventura County border. That's where I am. But oh my goodness, in 35 years, I've lived all over (laughs) Hollywood and Sunset Plaza and Malibu and Studio City and Westlake. And (laughs) well, we have so many uh, things to talk about. So I don't want to waste any of the time. I just want to jump right in. um, And I got to say, it is. It's so cool to see you finally. You too. You too. Boy, you've got a great radio voice. <laughs> Thank you. Let's see. Where do we start? Um, well, let's start here. How are you doing? And especially with all these appearances that you're making, I have been socking you like mad and <laughs> in oh a good way. Should I be worried? <laughs> Tony, Tony, it's in a good way. <laughs> No, how I mean you you're bit you're a busy little gal. I I do keep busy. I do yeah. keep busy. I've got a lot of energy. <laughs> what's what's been uh just one of the one or two of the highlights of recently? I've seen I've seen you on with uh, Don Bentley. You guys had a hoot. Oh. Um, you're doing um both remote and virtual book tours. Poof. Yeah, that's been fun. I went down, I actually drove down to your country uh, for Mysterious Galaxy and did my virtual event with Jonathan Mayberry from inside the store with readers, which was really neat, super oh. neat. And then I drove out to Arizona because I love the poison pen. And uh, I have a big North Dakota Norwegian uh community down there all my relatives came down to Arizona for the warm weather I think and also there's a a ninja dojo down there so I I used to you know back in my heyday when I was uh, teaching a lot I used to go down there and teach seminars for them and so you know they're still kind of special to me so I've come out of retirement twice in the last decade to teach a class for the Arizona ninja so come out of retirement at only 39. I mean, that is so crazy to me. <laughs> 39. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Let me begin by saying, Tori, I really loved The Ninja Betrayed. Um, it was, it was, it was so much more, there it is, beautiful people. 
watching at home. It was so much more than I anticipated. And I, and I mean that in the best way. I don't, I, maybe it wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to get, but it was so robust. I'm so glad. Um, with the whole Lily Wong series, it was really important for me to balance action thriller, mystery intrigue, and complex family dynamics. And that's really not something that you find in our genre. So, you know, that's really true. And with The Ninja Betrayed, it's even more so. It's a very emotional book. It's a very relationship-driven book. It uh, deals with big issues like, you know, Hong Kong's pro-democracy, you know, struggle and even romance and love and family and parenting and oh my gosh yeah so I appreciate that that you felt that and I I know exactly what you mean well you actually took my next line right from my lips uh because oh. it felt like it's a compliment it felt like one part thriller one part romance and one part travelogue <laughs> really makes you want to go to Hong Kong and eat. <laughs> it does. Uh, matter of fact, uh, a book that I wrote uh, a year ago, um, there's one scene that took place in Hong Kong, and I only wrote about it because I'm fascinated by that country and that culture, and I, I've always dreamed of going there and just haven't. But, yeah, it, it you put me right in the action. I, you know, not that I was familiar with that area, but I felt like I knew the area. And one of my favorite things, and I giggled about this time and again, is that it seems like, and I find it interesting, almost every single scene, every single chapter, Lily and or her family are either eating or drinking tea. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> is that is that your life for real? <laughs> Pretty much. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in a cup, I might add that a ninja friend of mine made for me. That is beautiful. Uh, with, yeah. I think. Did I see that? I saw that mug somewhere in some of your press release, didn't I? It pops up everywhere. Yeah. She uh, she's part of the ninja community, and she's a cer ceramist, uh, ceramicist, hmm. uh, ceramic artist, uh, Julie Berkowitz, and and it's just beautiful because it has it has a lily on top of a shuriken. Hard to see, but you know. Oh, that's so. beautiful. Yeah, so it's it's very special. But in regards to food, yeah, food. Food is huge. When you're, when you're trying to convey a culture, if you really want to get deep into a culture, know their food. And one of the things that is so big with me personally and um, people I know within my culture, uh, tea and, and food, you know, so that's why it keeps coming up in all of the books. There's a reason for my madness. Well, I figured there was, and I wanted to ask, I, I'm I'm primarily a coffee drinker, and if I drink tea, there's very few, we'll call it American teas that I care for. I mean, I grew up in the South, so we were always drinking sweet tea, and that was like oh Louisiana, right? That's that's a whole other world. That's a whole other word. I can't oh, handle y'all. <laughs> yeah, y'all. <laughs> I don't drink that anymore, but uh, I have done some research in different types of teas in the in the pearls that you put and then they expand and what i do like about tea and i don't want to spend a lot of time i want to come back to tea and ribs and so forth shortly but i can talk about tea forever all right well explain <laughs> to me this there is here's what i love about tea is the aroma 
there's so many different aromas and the, and the aroma to me is half the enjoyment. And the other thing is this tea is tea. If it sits and you warm it back up, it's still tea. You can't mm. do that with coffee. And if you put cream or sugar in it, which I don't, then it's never quite the same. It's never as enjoyable as that very first uh, cup. So mm -hmm. tell me, tell me the mystery or the aura or the magic uh, of tea itself. Oh goodness, it, it starts with me in buying the tea. Um, I need to smell it all. So you know those little tea bags with little crunched up pieces of the the dust, tea dust. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do don't do that. If you're gonna do tea bags, it has to be satchels. It has to be whole leaf tea that can expand. And so when I go into a, a tea house, I need to smell all of them. And, and that's how I choose. When I choose my tea in the morning, I do the same. I go to all my canisters and I smell. What do I want today? Dragonwell. Do I want Sencha? Do I want it with or without Osmansis flowers? Do I want it with a hint of Jasmine? Do I want Assam? Am I feeling robust? Do I want uh, Darjeeling? And the only way for me to figure it out is to smell. Once I've figured that out, then it's a process, you know, the heating of the tea, the cast iron pot, the sitting on the warming plate, and then I have to choose a cup. Choosing a cup is very important to me. I have my favorites, but they change every day. They change with my mood. They change with what I'm wearing. They change with how I want to hold it. Uh, I, I prefer cups that don't have... Um, that don't have handles. So I'm more the, the traditional Gaiwan teacup that has a little lid. Um, so when I get all of this together, then it becomes the sipping of the tea. I drink tea throughout my entire writing day. Uh, if I get too caffeinated, then I have to switch. And uh, you know, I'll drink uh, Lily's favorite chrysanthemum tea. Again, it's whole flowers that expand. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's an all-around experience with me from start to finish. It's a lot more than putting grounds in a, sure, you know, in a coffee pot and uh, having a cup of coffee. All right, before we before we go on, I do want to ask this: there is a magic, is there not, about the temperature and how long it sits, right? You know, there is, and I completely ignore it. <laughs> For me, it's all about, I love tea to stay hot. It's all about how can I keep my tea to stay hot without having to reheat it? And so I, I, I boil the heck out of that water. I put it in a cast iron teapot with whole leaf things. And then once it's steeped to the appropriate time, a few minutes, uh, then I'll pour it in a cup and I'll pour a lot of it into a canister that keeps it hot all day and oh. then i'll continue to drink you know from the the cast iron pot until the tea is gone and then i'll move on to the canister and by that time it's usually time to switch to chrysanthemum tea so chrysanthemum is only in flower has no caffeine and it's Correct. just just pleasant mellow it's very mellow it's Got very it. mellow yeah what's the last question what's the tea because <laughs> i'm fascinated by tea you know What's the tea that gets you going? You're going to you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to write an action scene and you really got to be sharp and ready to rock. What's that tea? It's usually going to be Dragonwell green tea that it's a Chinese tea that has a punch. But if I really need to amp up, it's Assam. I mean, that tea has got some kick. And if you want to just go to your local coffee, bean and tea, Scottish blend blends Assam and Darjeeling. That'll get you wired. How do you say us? How do you spell Assam? 
A-S-A-A-M. Okay. I'm I'm serious about this stuff. Okay. Oh, and don't even get me started about the ribs. We're coming back to that. <laughs> I like to cook. Unlike Lily, I like to cook. She just likes to eat. <laughs> right. And in every scene. Yes. But this pretty, is one of the but she never finishes. Have you noticed this? Yeah, she what is constantly on the go. That woman burns a heck of a lot of calories. She yeah. needs her food and she almost never gets to finish. Poor mm. thing. Who could she skips be? a lot of meals. Who could that be like someone I, I, I don't know? know. Mm, I don't yeah. know. I don't. <laughs> All right. So we are going to get to recipes, but one of the things I loved about this book was the authentic feel about it. And you, we've already referenced this, but it's that that vast multicultural insights. I love the traditions. Uh, I, I love the the dialogue and the uh, attitude between the mother and the father, and uh, the the love interest was interesting, which ended up being. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but that that was different than I'd expected. But there was it was the authenticity and and my favorite part, and I and I found myself doing this story. I'm like, okay, well, where's more fight scenes? I wanna I wanna see more ass kicking. You're you really do those well. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I would say the the balance in this book. Um it is a, a little bit heavier on relationships than it is on ass kicking. Uh, yeah, in the first two books, there were there was a little bit more of that, but this book just needed it needed to have a different kind of conflict. It had needed to have. There's a lot of emotional conflict in this book, but when I when I'm writing these things, you know, I, I map them out to make sure it's it's not too long you know, in between, you know, some kind of ninja action or a chase scene or a fight scene or, you know, a protest or a riot in, right. the, in these cases, you know, so that, so that, that, you know, keeps running through, but you're absolutely right. In this book, this book is, um, it, it's deep in, in those very complicated relationships. And the relationships were good. And to my point of ass kicking, I guess I'm going to have to go back and read Blade and Daughter to get more ass kicking. I, I guess you will. Yeah. I, All right. I guess you will. <laughs> well, well, having not read books one and two, which Ninja Daughter, Ninja Blade, uh, tell me, uh, tell me how book three fits into that in a spoiler free way. Now, so you've you've just set for us the fact that it's more emotional, but uh, and again, my apologies for not having read all three in a row. <laughs> I love that you could enjoy it from entering on the third book. That was my intention. Yeah, that I, you I didn't drop right into Lily Wong's world. So that's great. I didn't feel like I, well, of course, I didn't have any point of reference. So I don't know what I would be missing. But it does make me go, oh, I'd like to get to know this woman a little bit more. So I'm, I want to, yeah, I want to go back. Mission accomplished. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> So how would you, how does book three fit in the big picture in a spoiler-free way? Absolutely. Um, you know, like uh, in some uh, mystery thrillers, um, the protagonist is who they is, right? <laughs> now I am who I am and that's just how it is. They don't change a whole lot. A new case comes up, they deal with it in their ass-kicking way and they move on, right? Next right. one comes up, bam, same thing. Lily Wong is 25. She is at an age of constant change, evolution, and growth. Uh, therefore, there is a huge 
um, emotional arc for her as a character. And because she's at an age where um, her family has gone through trauma, when uh, Lily, uh, I guess it was uh, seven years prior, Lily's younger sister, who she feels tremendously responsible for, was raped and murdered, which is what set Lily on the course of dropping out of college, abandoning what she had thought would be her life and committing herself to becoming a protector of women and children, right? So that's the inciting motivation for her. But keep in mind, this is a family that has gone through trauma. So they have, they have ways of coping, they have things they hide, they have things that they try and rise above. There, there's so much going on in this family that they, that they keep from each other that needs to be discovered. And of course, at 25, as you probably remember, mm -hmm. we are trying to figure out how to be children as adults with our parents and our parents are trying to figure out how to deal with our children as adults. So there's all of this change, you know, that's going on. So with the Lily Wong series, there is a huge uh, emotional and relationship arc that drives everything. And so the first book we see Lily um, trying to protect this, this woman and this child. And she ends up paddling the Los Angeles Ukrainian mob and sex traffickers and, you know, uh, political conspiracies and all manner of things going on. There's a lot of action. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, she, it begins with her and there's an assassin for crying out loud. Uh, and he's an interesting character. And in the second one, it begins with Lily kind of dealing with the repercussions of the climactic ending of the first book. Because as I said, you know, there's an arc and violence has an impact, whether we it happens to us, by us, around us, right? So these things are important to me as an author, uh, you know. And so Lily has to cope with these things. And while she's doing that, she ends up diving into the commercial sex trafficking of youth in Los Angeles very serious issue, a lot of teens, a lot of very deep themes, a lot of action and danger, specifically to Lily. And so all of this, you know, and, and through the first book, we see the, the influence her grandparents wheel from Hong Kong. In the second book, they actually come to Los Angeles and meddle. And <laughs> at the end of the second book, you know, you, you find out that, uh, and it's not a spoiler because how else would I go to Hong Kong? Yeah, uh, Lily's mother is being summoned. Um, and so that's how we get to Hong Kong. So it's the relationship that drives everything organically. So for me, it had to be this book in this way, in that place. You know what I loved about Lily was the fact that I felt like I was meeting a true superhero without the super meaning Ooh. because you know you see superhero movies and books and they're all dun, 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 you know and they're but they always feel somewhat funny to me whereas this gal just makes me made me think of um wanting to be the big sister that a lot of these people may not have had and a true protector of those weak and vulnerable and it wasn't like she was running around just looking to ask kick for ask kick's sake but to 
truly be a protector. And I thought that was so neat. And I don't recall ever having read anything quite like that. Oh, gosh, that means a lot to me. Uh, it means a lot to me that that she feels genuine to you. And I love that you mentioned that thing about a big sister. This is something that's very important to her. She feels that she failed as a big sister too her real sister. And so she wants to become a big sister to a city. And now even in a city that she is visiting. So now it's becoming a big sister to women and children wherever she goes. And this is going to sound, I hope this doesn't sound uh, cheesy or ridiculous, but I, I want to ask where the inspiration for this comes from. I mean, I, I see, and we're going to get to this in a minute, all the different influences uh, of your a variety of your personality traits and your specialties but i i think to myself every everybody most writers today are thinking okay what is my inspiration is it what i do do i write what i know or is it what i want to be i'll write what i would like to know does that make sense yeah, it does. Um, it, it's interesting. When when I came up with Lily, she appeared to me when I was doing a stream of consciousness short story. Um, I just decided to enter this competition. The deadline was the next night at midnight. And I thought, oh, what the heck? I had done a 200 word thriller, you know, for a for a, a, a challenge. And I thought, ooh, one day I'll use that as a premise. And I thought, hey, I'm going to do this. By the way, that is the quickest I have ever written a short story. Usually they take me a month. They're grueling. But for some reason, this one came out. And as I was writing it, um, I, I realized as I was writing this scene that ended up being a pivotal scene in The Ninja Daughter when Lily is in this bar. So if you've, if you've read The Ninja Daughter, you know the scene. Um, and as I was writing it, it became apparent that she was mixed Asian. And I knew going in that the, the twist of this short story was that she was in fact a ninja. And, uh, and so this was something that, that kind of came out. I didn't set out to do it. In fact, I was working on a completely different novel. I had already had a novel, which incidentally, a version of which the final version of it is coming out in May, Dance Among the Flames, which couldn't be more dif different. It's about a desperate mother who rises from the slums of Brazil to become a powerful Quimbanda priestess. Yeah, yeah. Still deals with a very strong... Uh, female protagonist still deals with um, deep themes of psychological, physical, domestic abuse, uh, racial inequity, all that kind of stuff. But we got the gods and spiritualism of Brazil. So I was writing, I had that, you know, a version, early version of that going on. I had another novel that I was writing that dealt with Balinese occult. I mean, I had things going on. I had no I was not set out to write something that would follow so closely to me until I just wrote this short story. Right. And when I wrote it and uh, Suspense Magazine published it in their best of 2014 issue, as soon as I wrote it, I knew 
this is going to be the beginning of a novel. And I hoped it would be the beginning of a series. So it wasn't until I had written several other kind of horror and suspense like short stories that my agent just stopped me and said, stop what you're doing and write the ninja novel. And, and, and so I did. And that's when I, I realized, okay, not just mixed Asian, I want to dive into my own heritage. So I didn't just think up what is the weirdest combination a person could be? Oh, Chinese and Norwegian. It was like, no, my father was Norwegian from North Dakota. My mother was Chinese Hawaiian from Maui and they met in Japan. And I thought, I'm gonna take two of these things that are parts of my heritage that are most important and my ninja art that is based in Japan. And that's what I'm gonna write about. I gotta, I gotta catch my breath. Well, now <laughs> here is a quintessential example. And my listeners have heard a similar story before. <clears throat> I've shared this with uh, a KJ Howe and Meg Gardner and Andrews Wilson on various shows. <clears throat> and I'm, and I've never, I don't know that I've ever mentioned his name, but your husband, I pitched a story at 2019 Thriller Fest. I was pitching the book that's over my corner, uh, over my shoulder, The Poser, and it was in a different title. You know, that pitch fest where you go and you get to pitch author. I sit down to him. He's super chill. He's very approachable. I sit down, start talking, and this is what happened. Yeah, no, no. And I'm talking, <laughs> and I'm talking, he's like, no, not interested. And he was already, I was 35 seconds in, he was already done. And I'm like, Tony, um, well, why don't you like it? He goes, it's, it's already, you know, it's been there, done that. Michael Conley, he's, he's Bosch, right? So you're doing a female Bosch. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you ever been a cop? No. Detective? No. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's about it. And we, and I'm getting ready to take my little ego, pack up and walk away. And he said, he said, let me ask you something, Dave. What, you know, after he asked me what I had done, he goes, you know, what have you done in the past? I said, I was a radio guy for like 25 years. He goes, why don't you write about that? I'm like, who wants to hear about a radio guy? He goes, I would. I'd buy that idea right now. It floored me. I walked away. I was a little bit bruised because I felt like I'd been completely shot, shut down. But to this day, I promise you, to this day, your husband is probably one of the instigating things that has pushed me to go beyond and work harder. He doesn't even know this. And it made me go back to this phrase that I just was saying with you, write what you know, which is radio, so in my case. And I just wanted to take that moment to say thank you to him via you and encourage other readers to write what you know. Oh my, I'm glad that had a happy ending. You had me worried there because usually he's usually he's he's very gentle on these pitch backs. And that sounded pretty, ooh, pretty abrupt. I wonder if you caught him towards the end of uh, many hours. But uh, I did. It was the end of the day. Everyone was kind of toast, but oh goodness. You know, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad, I'm glad it ended up. Um, being something that that felt uh, positive and empowering for you. I, uh, I would say it, it's great to write something that you know, it's also wonderful to write something you're fascinated about. 
and I think um, either is terrific. Um, you know, like I mentioned, this this book, Dance Among the Flames, uh, there were so many things about brilliance. Brazilian spiritualism that spoke to me. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, my son's preschool teacher was from Brazil. And I had been writing a screenplay that uh, that um, was based in Brazil for a certain reason. And, and I scrapped that and I, I did a deep dive into the country. And then from there found the things that were so fascinating to me and that related to me as a multicultural person growing up in Hawaii and, and experiences that I had had. And that led to years and years and years of research. Um, and, and so that to me, I think is as um, important uh, as writing from experience, you know, because that kind of passion comes through, right? It's not just it's not just uh, shallow, uh, you know, uh, a plot, a story, um, you know, a log line. There's, right. there's something underneath it that is inspiring you to dig deep. And, and so I think fascination is, is important. I would totally agree with, and that's a really great point. And I think, and I use this reference often uh, when I think about like the Jack Cars and the Don Bentleys. Jack Carr specifically, you know, he, he lived, ate, slept uh, a Navy SEAL. And he writes that character to this day, and he's a gearhead to this day. And that's a guy who is writing about what he knows and is fascinated with. So I'm with it with you. And also, you're the same way. You write what you know, but what you're fascinated with, the multicultural angle, mm -hmm. um, uh, social, uh, political uh, tomes in society. So I, I get that. But here's another thing I wanted to ask, and you you just touched on something, and I'm shooting ahead to some of my questions, and I've followed you from afar now, and of course I saw you there in Thriller Fest, and I've always wondered, I saw it then, and I've, I've seen it since, that you're always so upbeat and chill, and I want to know what that magic is for you. I mean, is it is it diet? Is it meditation? I mean, what is that thing? Um, gosh, I think if my parents were still alive, they'd probably say I just came out that way. Uh, there, it, you know, there's, there's something magical about growing up in Hawaii. Um, you know, being chill is, is sort of a thing. And I was always like really approachable. I mean, like everybody who came into our house, I would, it's a little kid, right? I'd run and give them a big hug and hello. And they were like, wow. And, and I don't know that that's changed much. I think I'm still that way. And, and I think some people who meet me, it takes them a while to believe that it's genuine because, because I can be so, you know, approachable and, you know, kind of like that, that big hug, you know, when I first meet you. And then I think after a while they go, no, no, I, I think, I think that's just her. Okay. Uh, and so I think, I think that Aloha spirit has, has something to do with it. And I think I carry it with me, but um, as far as staying upbeat and positive. Yeah. I think uh, meditation, I think, uh, healthy living, I think lots of exercise, good food, and, and also, you know, ninja training, my ninja training has a huge esoteric component that, you know, draws back from way, way, way uh, long ago from China with Tendai Buddhism. Um, and, and that really always gelled with me. 
and and my philosophies on life and meditation since I was a tween. So all of the above. Aloha spirit at the front. (laughs) I love it. Um, So I know you have a, I I made this uh, in one of our um, advertisements for the upcoming show. I'm like, this is, this will be a first for me. Never on the show have I had a fifth degree black belt. And I want to make sure I get this right. Is it Toshindo Ninjutsu? Wow, that was really good. Yeah, Toshindo, it's a ninja martial arts. And generally, when we think of ninja martial arts, we call it ninjutsu. So yeah, you, you nailed it. Oh, so you've mastered that and you've oh, taught right. some- Oh, hold on a second. Yeah, I, I have a fifth degree black belt and yeah, that's considered a master's license, but I would, I would not say I have mastered the ninja arts. Okay, <laughs> you've mastered it more than me? Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> is and I don't know if this is a silly question. Is fifth degree the highest you can go? Is there a no. sixth? Huh? No. No, there's not. Um, and you know, it, it depends. Um, there are a lot of different schools teaching the ninja arts. They came down through nine lineages to one grandmaster, Takamatsu Sensei. He passed it on to Hatsumi Sensei, who taught many, many people, including my teacher, Stephen K. Hayes, who brought it to the West and um, then kind of founded Toshindo as a modern evolution of the ninja arts. But there have been many, many teachers that have you know, uh, that focus on a particular lineage or another lineage or um, their style of teaching the ninja arts, and they're all over the world. And so all of those different schools have a different rank system. So um, Hatsume Sensei in uh, Japan, he's the current grandmaster of the ninja martial arts, right? And uh, he, his, school, his group is the Bujinkan, and he now offers, I believe, 10th degree. He didn't always. He offers 10th degree. Um, Stephen K. Hayes and Toshindo, um, you know, they, he and Romiko, who founded it, hold a 10th degree, and I believe we have seventh degrees, possibly eighth degrees in our system. Back when I was training, um, I was uh, the, the highest, you know, uh, after Rumi Kohei's, uh, there were, uh, I was like the second woman to, to gain a fifth degree black belt. But since then, um, we have other women who have, like Helen Russo, who have gone on to a sixth degree. And so that's, that's really wonderful. Okay, so here's the other question. So besides Toshin Do, you have an extra black belt. Uh, do you wear them at the same time? Tang <laughs> Sudo? Tang Sudo, yeah, that's Tang-su- a Korean karate. I started in that. I followed my son into that. And uh, man, I just hit hit that ground running. You know, it's my professional dance background. Right. Uh, so my, my first class was insane. Um, it was like a, a mixed group from me as a new white belt to one step away from black belt, a student there. And it was a small class. And so the teacher could basically teach anything he wanted to all of us. And so he was very amused. So he knew I had been sitting on the sidelines. He knew a little bit about my background. So he's like, you know, the first form, don't you? And I'm like, yes, sir. And he goes, can you perform that first solo? I'm like, sure. He goes, you know, the second form, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. Can you perform that for a solo? I'm like, 
sure. And then the class ended up being, let's see what this weird new student can do. And by the end of the class, I had done every punch, every jump, kick, spinning kick, like jump, spinning heel kicks on targets and fighting combinations across the floor. It was insane. And then they put gear on me and said, want to spar? And of course I was like, sure. You know, and they said, but you're not allowed to hit anybody in the head because you're new and you don't have control, but apparently other people could hit me in the head. So that was interesting, you know, but he was like, can you do a double round kick, you know, to my ankles and my head? He was six, two. I'm like, I can try. So, you know, I did, but I didn't touch him because it wasn't allowed because I didn't have any control. So it was a crazy first lesson. And so uh, needless <laughs> to say, my trajectory in Tongsuda was very fast. And after a year and a half, I was one step away from black belt and I was teaching in a school, a different school. And, uh, but the head of the foundation wouldn't test me for black belt until I had reached three years. Uh, so fortunately I had teachers who were also accomplished in Brazilian uh, jujitsu uh, and uh, kickboxing. I had a teacher who was on the original Chuck Norris fighting team. And so I did private lessons with them. And I had private training partners who were like four degree black belts. And that's when I discovered Toshin Do. And because my teacher at the time had two dojos and was thinking of converting the other one to this new Stephen K. Hayes thing, I volunteered and said, hey, how about I become uh, a student, and I let you know how that is. And that's how I got permission to train in both arts at the same time, while I was also doing escrima and Brazilian and, and kickboxing and all this kind of stuff. But once I, uh, I ended up getting a black belt for both within a month of each other. Uh, but you know, once I got into the ninja arts, I mean, there was no turning back. It's so all encompassing. And, and the way of movement is so uh, natural and unique and efficient that I started teaching that while I was teaching Tong Sudo. So I had to stop because it, it wasn't fair to the other system. I wasn't really teaching Tong Sudo at that point. I was infiltrating it with my ninja stuff. So I, I set that aside and I, no, I don't wear two black belts. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a break here in just a second, but I do want to ask this question because I did, uh, I have spent entirely too much time uh, on <laughs> YouTube videos uh, oh. on, on this form of martial arts, watching you train and kick other guys' asses. But it left me wondering two things. How long does it take to learn the basics? Like just to be able to go in and learn the basics, number one. Number two, could someone as uncoordinated and as big of a dork as me pick up something like this at my age? Uh, I'll start with the second answer first. The second question first is yes, you absolutely can. The thing that's brilliant about the ninja arts is that you can enter it at any age. It does not require strength and speed and you can accommodate when it comes to agility. So I think it is a tremendous art for anyone. The better you get, the less strength you use, the less speed is required, and the harder it is for anybody around you to tell that you did anything at all. That what? is the wait, goal. Wait. That is the goal of the ninja arts. When you get really good, people start hitting the ground, and the spy, the bystanders are going, "What happened?" <laughs> because is it because of speed or with the um, letting their energy, you're deflecting their energy. It, it has to do with uh, 
body placement and distancing and the relationship between you and the other person and how you take their space and use it. And this is what makes it so incredibly hard to learn because it's not, yes, there are set techniques. Yes, there are uh, set skills that you have to learn. And when you're on the way to black belt, you learn some of those basics, but that's not where the art lives. The art lives and breathes in its ability to adapt to a specific situation of specific um, uh, partner, so to speak, and the energy and distance and um, everything between you and that person. And so to be able to relate in that fight, you know, Lily Sensei is constantly telling her, you know, a fight is a relationship. It's all a relationship. It's not about them or you it's what you're creating together and this is something that is incredibly magical about the ninja arts and very hard to master and so back to that first part of that question uh how long would you say if i just and i'm asking only because i'm curious like i'm not going to be a guy who's going to learn to box i don't want to get my head hit uh i'm not going to go pick up uh um, I'm not going to go be a bodybuilder, right? I'm going to either try to master golf, which is a, a continual struggle. Oh my. <laughs> or something that is, I'm not going to go do aerobics. You know, I'd love to get it. And when I was reading this book, it made me think about this. And I've always been fascinated by it. I was a huge Chuck Norris fan and all, you know, uh, uh, a karate kid, a kung fu. I just always thought it's so cool to be able to be able to master something whereby if you got in a bad situation, you could handle yourself without fear and not wondering if you had a knife or a gun or a sword or whatever, but if you just had your hands. Um, I can't speak for all schools, but I will say that if you find a, a Toshindo uh, school that you will come away from the first week with something meaningful and something tangible that you can use. Um, and, and that will continue to be so. Awesome. And you know, I'm not one of these guys that I'm not worried about. I don't walk around the world in fear, but the world's getting crazier all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and here in California, we know our, our fair share are crazy, don't we? <laughs> And so I guess it's just wanting to be, you know, be, be prepared. Let's do this. Let's take a quick short break. And when I come back, we're going to find out more about Tori. And it is goes beyond just being a fabulous writer in martial arts. It's about something more. So stay with us. Life gets complicated for modern-day ninja Lily Wong when she dives into the dangerous world of Hong Kong in The Ninja Betrayed. When Lily uncovers shaky finances, discovers a curious romance, and learns her mother's safety is threatened, she must decide if her ninja skills can protect the family business, all while navigating corporate intrigue and the murderous triads. New York Times bestselling author Don Bentley calls it part crazy rich Asians and part Game of Thrones that delivers in all the right way. 
Mysteries. And the LA Times says The Ninja Betrayed is one of the five fall mysteries you shouldn't miss. Get your copy of The Ninja Betrayed today. Hi, I'm Tori Eldridge, author of The Ninja Betrayed, book three in the Lily Wong series, and you are listening to the super cool The Thriller Zone with David Temple. As I said before the break, yes, you're a great writer. It's very evident. And you're uh, a masterful martial arts person, athlete, practitioner, mm-hmm. practitioner. Thank you. <laughs> sure. But here's what I learned. And, and, and I have coined this phrase. I think I use it in one of my ads. You're not a triple threat or a quadruple, but you're a quintuple threat because besides being a writer and a martial arts connoisseur and a singer and a dancer, which we've learned, but you're also an actress, which is totally awesome. And so when I went doing a little deep dive, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I found out that you played, was it Maria on the love boat? Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the eight love boat mermaids in the final season of the the love boat with oh. Terry Hatcher, I might add. That's, that's how she got her start. <laughs> It's funny, you can't even say the phrase love boat without hearing the song in your ear. <laughs> That's and, true. And seeing that uh, Captain... Steuben. Steuben. It was, I was sitting there going, yeah. it wasn't Steuben. And, and I always want to do this. Love boat. You know, you, you got to kind of go like this a little. <laughs> By the way, I never saw water and I never saw a ship. And, and you know, it was an entire season of episodes that we shot. I, you know, but it was all in the studio. Just thought I'd throw that in there in case you ever wanted to know. 1974. 74? No, 84. 84? 84. Well, when, when I was on it, I think it was 85. Okay. Or, yeah. It, when Maybe I was on I'm it, referencing. It was Okay, maybe I'm referencing. Could it have been when it. you played Amy in the Brian Keith show? That that could be. You know, that could be. My goodness, you did a deep dive. Yeah, I was in seventh or eighth grade, and uh, the Brian Keith Brian Keith had a show. It was first called The Little People, and then it was called The Brian Keith Show. And my my teacher. She put me up for this part. I don't know why, but she had a connection. She knew they were looking for this, you know, this guest starring role. And she said, you know, you should go and try out for this. And, and I was so surprised when I got it. But so that was that was the first time I saw somebody like me represented in entertainment was when I played it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, the funny thing about it, as I was reading about this and I was reliving the Brian Keith show, which of course I grew up watching, he always impressed me, side note, he always impressed me as just being kind of a grumpy old guy. Was he, he just had that look of like, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted and I've got kids running around. Rah, rah, rah. I, you know what? I don't have any recollection That's of, funny. you know, shooting that show or anything. It astounds yeah. me how much of my life I have forgotten. I wish I could, I wish I could remember. I have great memories of, uh, or distinct memories of doing Zorba with the late, great Anthony Quinn. I, I remember working with Michael York on The Little Prince and the Aviator and Ellen Green. And I remember, you know, dancing with The Temptations and working with, you know, uh, Rachel Sherrard. Um, but I, you know, I even remember meeting uh, uh, 
oh gosh, uh, Andy Warhol when he when he oh. came in. Uh, I have a signed print of his in in my living room because he was a guest star. But I cannot remember anything from the Brian Keith show except how surprised I was, you know, that that I got it. <laughs> By the way, I'm a huge Andy Warhol fan. Oh. You have a signed piece of Warhol? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a print. He he gave a he gave a print to all eight of us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One of the mermaids was a huge fan. And when he found that out, we all got signed prints. So cool. My goodness, you have had I mean, you're just you're just chock full of story. There's got to be a memoir in your future. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would care. But you know, I was almost uh, well, I was. It just never got recorded. I recorded with Brian Wilson. He was uh, doing a comeback. This was before he actually came back. He was doing a comeback album, Brian Wilson and the Beach Girls. And I was one of the Beach Girls. So we recorded a whole bunch of songs and even did a, a music video. But um, but that whole project got tanked. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me you were like a classmate with Barack Obama. <laughs> He was a cool dude, by the way. He was very, you talk about chill. He was very chill. I'm pouring myself tea in case you're wondering. He was very chill and a super neat guy. I think he's still chill and I still think he's a super neat guy. Seems like it, huh? Yeah, I haven't it, spoken to him since, uh, you know, since we graduated from Punahou. So, but I, I have friends from Punahou. We're, we are a tight knit group. Uh, the class of 79. So yeah, I'm not 39 years old. Uh, but we're, we are a tight knit group. And a lot of them are still, you know, um, play basketball and, and golf, you know, with Barry. So yeah, wow. he's still pretty chill. Wow. Did you just call him Barry? Only because we were talking about him in, in regards to having gone to school with him. Got it. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, Barry. Yeah, no, no. President, Yo, Barry, what's up? President Obama. Yeah. <laughs> but but since you're talking about Plenahoe and, and things like sure. that, yeah, that's that's how that's how I knew him. Were you making ninja moves back then? And did you teach him any of yours? No. No, no. I, I you know, I, I had a fascination with the martial arts. And one of my best friends was the granddaughter of Run Run Shaw, who, um, you know, produced so many Kung Fu movies. And her mother owned a uh, Chinese um, theater in, in Chinatown in Honolulu. And we used to go hang out there on Sundays. And, you know, the movies in the background, we'd be scurrying around the theaters and stuff. And, and her brother did martial arts. And I always wanted to, but I, I fell into dance early and, um, you know, right after gymnastics, really. And so after that, I think I was like 12. Every time a, a PE coach would call my mom, oh, does Tori want to join the softball team? Does Tori want to join the diving team? Tori want to join the swimming team or the soccer team? My mother would always say, that's fine, but you have to choose that or dance. You can't do both. So I never, I never did martial arts. And you know what? She was right because the body can only kind of take so much. And I was so serious on, on dance that there really wasn't room for anything on the side like martial arts. So it wasn't until I thought I had retired from performing. Um, I kept getting pulled back into it, but um, that's, that's when I, I got into it. So Which just to, like and just to make sure I'm clear, you, don't do any teaching of martial arts anymore to this day? Is um, I hung up my uh, belt, so to speak. Uh, I retired from uh, teaching and, and even really training in, in groups 
10 years ago when I made the commitment to pursue a career as a novelist. Everything in my life that I've done and all the successes that, that I've had have been because of my immersive nature. I absolutely commit and focus everything, time, energy, resources, um, focus onto whatever it is I'm trying to do. So I knew that if I was going to really make a go of it um, as, as a fiction writer, specifically a novelist, that I would have to commit. And so uh, that's, that's when I stopped. And I centered it all around when I turned 50, because that to me was very empowering. Very empowering. Yeah, I'm 60 now, dude. There is no <laughs> Respect way. Respect your elders. <laughs> uh, honey, I got almost three years on you. Oh, good. I'm so glad to not be the oldest person in the room. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you look good. 60. Um, I'm going to get... I'm. <sighs> we, we covered the T, which I've, I've got notes here. I'm going to start doing... I, I am, I promise you, by the next time we talk, I'm going to tell you my top three favorite teas because I'm, ask my wife, I do deep dives. I find something and I want to know more about it. I, I'm kind of like you. I'm just all in. I'm going to research it. I'm going to try it out. But I also want to say these ribs because oh. I'm, a, I'm a rib whore, okay? And I... <laughs> I like to cook them. I like to eat them. I like, I, I spend way too much time thinking about them. I've, we've discovered a new restaurant here down in Del Mar called something smokehouse. I don't know. Probably some of the most amazing Korean barbecue ribs I've oh, ever had in my life. That's the best. So when I saw this recipe, which I'm flashing on screen, but I'll share uh, on the screen. So you take real quick, baby back ribs, Chinese five spice, which you got to tell me what that is. Uh, hickory bullseye barbecue sauce, hoisin sauce. Am I saying that right? Hoisin. Hoisin. Okay. Yeah. A teaspoon garlic chili sauce. So not a lot of not a lot of stuff going on. You got it. You got it broken down into six steps. I love that. Anybody can make this. And a tell me what the Chinese five spices where I can find it. And b how often do you eat these? <laughs> and keep that stylish figure. Uh, okay, so uh, Chinese five spice. You can get it. You can get it, at Ralph's. You can get it pretty much any store, really. Oh, okay. And it's and it's a blend of like anise and cinnamon and um, maybe ginger and I, I can't remember actually, okay. but it has a very distinct flavor. Um, when I'm doing ribs for for our family, so my my husband and my son, they they really love the sweet. I have to uh, watch my sugars. So I put a lot of uh, the five spice all over the ribs, like, like a dry rub. And yeah. sometimes I'll even mix that up with chili powder, which I didn't put in there. Um, and, and I'll barely put on, you know, any of the sauce on the, on the other side. With them, I only put a little bit of the five spice and I put a whole lot of the sauce uh, for them. The, um, the garlic paste you can get in the Asian section. You can also get hoisin sauce in the Asian section. It has a very distinctive flavor. And by the way, the hoisin and with the garlic sauce and 
um, is, is a combination that I remember Roy's restaurant used to use a lot with their recipes. And uh, we were just really into that Stubbs hickory barbecue sauce at the time. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, let's just mix that together. And it ended up being like so good. So yeah, but, but the trick uh, of the, the, the ribs, you know, kind of my mom's way, the, I guess the Chinese way or whatever is to parboil the ribs. And, and so I put them in a pot of uh, water and I boil that for like, you know, 35, 40 minutes or something. Yes. And it takes out the grease. And so then I put it on a platter, then I put the rub, then I, then I swathe on the thing and then we barbecue it just so it gets that yummy barbecue, you know, thing. So, so this isn't like Southern smoke, slow cooking barbecue type of thing. It's, it's a very different way of cooking ribs, but yeah. And so how often, oh, at least once a month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm all in. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a staple. <laughs> you, you gave me the, you gave me the magic, which was the, uh, pre-boiling the parboiling the uh yeah, yeah yeah that's that's a good now i have heard that before and i a couple of my buddies back back in the south they would really? boil that in some beer so they do that too oh, oh yeah well that's good to know i didn't know that was also a southern thing i just assumed it was a you know chinese mom thing no i would boil them not for long but in guinness stout oh sweet that sounds awesome because it gives it's whole magical mojo to it. So then when wow. you start putting all the dressing and sauces and all it, and then you go to caramelize it on that oh big heat. Oh my God. Do you mix, do you mix the Guinness with water or is it just straight up Guinness? Cause that's a lot of bottles <laughs> of Guinness to boil the ribs. It's like well, a, I will have to say <laughs> I'm a purist. Oh wow. I, I go straight up Guinness. Oh damn. Good yeah. for you. Now, it does you know what like, I love in cooking? What? Tingshao uh, rice wine, Chinese rice wine. It has a distinctive flavor. You should check it out for cooking. That's awesome. See, <laughs> I knew it. When I, I, I spent, I was so excited about creating some of these ads for you. And I'm like, I can't wait to talk to her about ribs and tea. <laughs> and by the way, I saw your comment. There were no sock puppets. I just, sometimes I'll throw something in to make you go, huh? I was totally expecting little ninja sock puppets to pop up on your end. <laughs> I almost did, but I I decided against it. Just the threat of sock puppets was enough to get me laughing. I thought that was hilarious. All right. I know we are coming to a close. I want to be very respectful of your time. I do want to say this. I love this. You have a warrior name, Myotoshi? Myotoshi. Myotoshi. Uh -huh. I'm pretty close. Yeah. Or Warrior of the Unfathomable Blade. I love that. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, oh, that's a goodness. hard word to say. When we get to a certain degree of black belt, the, the third in our system, Toshindo, Stephen K. Hayes and Romiko Hayes, they founded it. Um, when we get to the third degree black belt, that's called our Toshi or warrior um, rank. Um, and so at that rank, we are given a warrior name. And um, there's a certain kanji that Rumiko finds that holds that, that specific meaning. So um, I have um, a friend whose warrior name is also Myotoshi, and his 
meaning of his name is completely different because of the kanji that was used. And so um, when Stephen and Rumiko awarded me this name, they said it was um, to reflect the depth of my knowledge and the depth of my seeking. And that really meant a, a lot to me. And I think it comes through in the Lily Wong books as well, because I'm constantly looking for the deeper meanings and things. And Lily Wong in her, you know, I, I really wanted to show a, um, an authentic yet contemporary uh, view of ninja uh, through this book series, because, you know, I wanted to bust through the whole sensationalized myth of you know flying at that assassins and you know all this kind of stuff which by the way is totally fun and uh and true <laughs> but you know i really wanted to go more in depth into what you know contemporary authentic ninja is and for me that has always been a very very deep journey um and so the the wisdom that lily gains from her sensei and it comes through in things that during their lessons and when she's even recalling things when she's in dire situations and the the wisdom that that comes to her based on his seeking questions all of this is is you know real what we call ura you know omote being outwardly and exposed and obviously and ura being you know a little bit hidden and underneath and deeper uh, so there's a there's a huge ura quality to um, the way i i look at the ninja arts and the way that i write them in the lily wong series there's three things I really loved about this book, and <clears throat> you just wrapped it up nicely for me. First is the authenticity. Everything felt authentic. It didn't feel over the top and Hollywoodized. Secondly, I love the deeper layers of family. Always have been a big fan of that. Uh, my very first novel I turned into a film, and, and that was all about family and the bond of family and how important it is to who we are and as, and as we grow up with family and we start to move away so and I'm learning this now after having lost both my parents is we want to come back to family um, and try to stay close to that bond so I love that and the third thing is which is a completely uh, unrelated and more surface thing is that I love uh, the packaging and the design of your books yeah, everything is so specific and so colorful. Yeah. I was really fortunate. Uh, you know, my my publisher is Agora Books, which is an imprint of Polis Books. And, you know, quite frequently authors aren't involved in their covers, but they really involved me right from the start in a pretty deep way. Um, they asked me about, about colors and I wanted Chinese gold and red and ninja black. They they asked me about symbols, um, and and I included weapons. The uh, designer came up with this panel thing, which was really interesting because I never mentioned to them how lucky number eight is, and they put it in eight panels, and I oh, thought yeah. that was fascinating. And they came through with all of these uh, you know ninja weapons, and I said, but I need I need icons that also also show a cultural conflict, because keep in mind that Lily is a Chinese Norwegian practicing a Japanese ninja martial arts. Right. She grew up 
training and performing and competing in Chinese wushu, which by the way, I also studied, I had the opportunity to study Chinese wushu spear. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> with, my son, with my son's teacher, which was really cool. Um, and so I really want to show that, that cultural, you know, um, element of Chinese and Japanese ninja, what, you know, what's going on? And so they gave me, you know, this dragon and this um, lion. And so that to me kind of bound that whole thing in. So when it came time for the second book, The Ninja's Blade, uh, my editor who, you know, also runs Agora Book, she said, okay, so tell me, color and um you know what are the icons what are you seeing and and we both felt you know it had to be red and and again you know they they just came up with these these amazing things and you've got lily's karambit that's her signature knife you've got you know the buddhist, buddhist element yeah. you've got some ninja thing you've got tea of course yeah. you've yeah. got this fearsome tiger because she's you know diving into and to protect these teenagers from commercial sex trafficking and you got this this kitchen knife you know which kind of gives you a sense of uh uncle um, sure. who we won't say anything more about but he's an interesting character isn't he you mean and the so, fact that it slides out of his hand constantly go ahead yeah, yeah yeah you know what's up with that you know he's constantly doing things like that and so with the third book this is ninja jade this is jade yeah, I see um, that. A lot of people will say, oh, it's green. It's like, no, it's jade. And it's jade for a reason, because she's going to Hong Kong with her mother and her mother's jewelry, her signature jewelry, even her wedding ring is all jade. And so then we have these things. This is uh, a monkey. The is um, the Chinese zodiac sign for both of her parents. Is the that like the monkey that you were holding on Instagram or somewhere? You were cuddling. Oh, no, up. that was in Bali. That was during a book research trip in oh, Bali. Awesome. Yeah, I was writing that book when um, when I did that short story for Lily Wong. That's how wild I was in my. You know, I was totally not looking to write something close to me. That's yeah. You know, the scorpion. You'll have to read the book. Oh, the yeah. um, the money, the Hong Kong money, and Mahjong have to do with um, you know the what's going on with the corporate thing, and of course we have the representation of the uh, the protests and and this is this is our one icon that suggests a little bit of romance with Lily. Yeah. It's subtle but that's what that's about. Well, so nicely done and of course it begs the question is there a book number 4 and I know you have a book coming up you referenced earlier Brazilian fantasy Dance Among the Flames coming up May 22. Will there 24, be a May 24? May 24. May 24 in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I just went, I shortcutted yeah, it to 22. Is there more Lily Wong? Well, I'm right now, I'm in the, the research uh, expanding plot and character stage of the fourth book. Excellent. But so uh, Dance Among the Flames will come out most very most likely before the fourth Lily Wong. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. So the Ninja Blade, the Ninja Betrayed just came out a couple weeks ago. Right. And then Dance Among the Flames comes out May 24, 2022. And I have no idea about the fourth book because I'm still trying to write it. Sure. 
But you do have a working title. You know it will begin with the followed by ninja. <laughs> It'll just be the third word we need to work on. I, I'm pretty certain that uh, that you've landed on a, on a thing there. Yeah. You know, you got to get up early to get a, get one over on me, young lady. Yeah, now. I got I got I got to say that that third title that's all my editor Chantel uh, Ameos man. She came up with that, the ninja oh. betrayed, and I was like, nailed it. Nice. Okay, as we start to wrap it up, we we know that you're a big fan of travel, as am I. We also know you and I share. Uh, among some favorite cities. We both lived in Chicago, Manhattan, and Los Angeles. Wow. You lived in Boston and D.C. I did not. I almost had a job in D.C. What would you say is your favorite city thus far? To live in? In the U.S., because I've got a follow-up question. Yeah. Okay, well... Digging you know, in Los I, Angeles, I'm going to guess. Yeah, well, you know, Honolulu is astounding. It's an astounding place to grow up. Um, I, I don't think I, I could live there right now. So since I've lived in Los Angeles for 37 years, uh, I'm going to say L.A. It's okay. so diverse and there's so many ways of living in the L.A. area that that appeals to me. Good answer. Now, um, other favorite cities or countries. Now, I know you've been to a lot of these places, but I'm not going to rattle them off. What what's what's a city that you've run across that you just fell in love when you went, man, this is it. I was just overwhelmed uh, when I went to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, so beautiful and at times so ugly. Uh, both at the same moment. So, so amazing. Bali was just like, oh, goodness, what, what an astounding place. Shanghai, I, I'm not narrowing this down. My, my son, my daughter-in-law, and my new grandbaby are all in Shanghai. And boy, what a city. What a city that is. That is something. And then we all traveled together to Hong Kong. And to be able to see Hong Kong through a local perspective, Yeah, that's, that's a that's that's quite uh that's quite a, a city if i had to go back to one right this moment it would be shanghai because i have not yet met my 10 month old baby grandbaby and nice. i'm desperate to meet her so awesome. for no other reason i'm going to throw shanghai at the top okay a couple of rapid fire questions as we like to do on the show if you could star in your own ninja betrayed would you two-part question would you do your own stunts secondly who would play your love interest well, I would have to be Lily's mother because I'm way too old to do Lily. <laughs> but if I if I was doing my own stunts, heck no. <laughs> yeah, I hurt now just thinking about the stuff I make her do. Although everything that she does is definitely possible because I've done this is rapid fire and I'm not doing it rapid fire. So I'm just <laughs> shut up right now. <laughs> okay, you and Tony are invited over to my home with Tammy and myself. Isn't it funny? We got we got Tony, Tori, Tammy, and David. Um, David. <laughs> invited over for dinner with me. You get to invite two of your favorite people to join us. Not necessarily family. Maybe maybe uh, anybody, dead or alive, you could join us for this meal. Who would it be? Since we're both thriller writers, um, then I guess I guess I probably invite a couple other you know great thriller writers because I think that would be really fun. You know, let's let's bring Lee Child in and and we could just like pick his brain because that that would be like 
way too much fun. Excellent. And, uh, and, and let's bring Ken Follett in. I love the pillars of the earth. That whole trilogy is like all time favorite. I think, right, I think right, we'd enjoy all, talking to him. We would have a blast. Uh, Tammy, my wife, her favorite author is probably Ken Follett. So that would be fun. Lee Child is among my favorites. So yeah. Any great convers- guy. He's such a good guy. Conversation would be amazing. All right. What's your favorite aspect of your variety of cultures that you'd like to see enjoyed by the masses? So let me break that down. There's something about your your variety of cultures that you've grown up and been exposed to, which are all beautiful and reverential in so many different ways. What would you like to see that you've had specific access to that you'd like to see every man, woman, and child be able to absorb? Aloha spirit. I, I, I want people to be able to embrace other cultures and mixed cultures with open arms and an open heart. <laughs> Can't ask for more than that. Tori Eldridge, this has been probably 10 times better than I even anticipated. And I was anticipating greatness. This has been very fun. I've had a, a wonderful time. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're delightful. Boy, you got, I, I wish I had half of your energy. That is for sure. And are you, what are you off to next? Are you, are you taking any bit of a little piece of a break before you launch into this next book? Are you going to go see the new grandchildren? Or are you going to just, what are you doing? Goodness. Well, I can't see the new grandbaby because I can't get into China. So oh, that's yeah. a problem. True, true. <laughs> One small um, problem. Yeah, that's a, a little small problem. I'll tell you the truth, I have been like, you know, deep into the Ninja Betrayed book tour. So that's been a huge thing. And now we're getting ready to release the cover, the stunning cover for Dance Among the Flames next month. Um, so I've, you know, I've got, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in my brain that's wrapped around with those two things. And, uh, and in the middle of it, I keep trying to carve out time to work on the fourth Lily Wong book. Perfect. And since you're such a huge fan of the Thriller Zone, you wouldn't mind giving us a sneak peek of that cover, would you? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> we could talk. <laughs> hey, I had to try. All right. Well, thank you again so much for your time. You're, you're elegant, you're graceful, you're talented, you're just flat out lovely. And we appreciate you being a part of the show. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks again, Tori, for a spectacular hour plus of delicious food and dangerous fights, tasty teas and rockin' ribs. We can't wait to see what Lily Wong gets into next. Hey, we especially like the sock puppets. On to next week's episode. I'm more than excited to introduce an old friend, Sean O'Rourke, financial and cyber liability guru for Combs & Company in New York. And yes, while Sean isn't a classic thriller writer, he is a thriller lover. I've known Sean for over two decades, and in all that time, we've come to appreciate one another's passion for thriller films. So next week, I'm excited to introduce you to a new addition to The Thriller Zone, when Sean and I count down our top 10 favorite thriller films. There's only 10, so you can imagine how hard that's going to be. In fact, I challenge you to think of your top 10 faves. In fact, this week, why don't you take a few minutes to jot them down and email them to the thriller zone at gmail in fact i'll draw a name from those emails and one lucky winner will win a fresh off the press thriller zone collectible (laughs) t-shirt 
Woohoo! Yeah, you heard me right. Drop a note of your favorite top 10 movies to thethrillerzone at gmail, and you could win. Trust me, it's a sweet tea. Okay, be safe out there. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at David Temple Author, and I'll see you next time on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.